Hello and welcome to the Reaper's Digest podcast. My name is Blake Ray. And my name is Duke Ralston. And sitting here next to me is author Neil Privet. We're going to be talking about Neil's book tonight. Before we get into that, what are you drinking? Neil and I are having Seamstress's Roast. I've got the Jeez. Tiger Tiger Burning Bright Light Roast. Light Roast. Good stuff. One of my favorites. Drogo. It's a good company. It is a good company. Uh, we met Barry at uh, Chattacon a few years ago, and she gave me a free sample, and I don't think I've drunk much else since then. Yeah. Once you get hooked on it, you know. There's no substitute. There's yeah. no going <laughs> yeah, you know, it's not like you can go back to Folgers. No. Once <laughs> you go Drogo, you never go back. Yeah, that's that's uh, one of their rejected mottos. Also, Drogo, put it in your mouth. <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> this is live, right? <laughs> we are live, yes. Yeah, yeah. all right, cool. Do you cool. feel live? Feel live. I feel alive, especially when you leaned up on me like that. I feel real alive. I'm starting to get in the picture. <laughs> <laughs> the special effects. <laughs> See the visible man. There he is. Where'd he go? There he is. <laughs> All right. Okay. Yeah, so like I said, we're going to be talking about Neil's book, but specifically we're going to be talking about the mummies of Tara El Bay. Did I pronounce yeah. that right? Yeah. Sure. Okay. Yeah, Terra Albe. Yeah, Terra Albe. Kind of a uh, Tatooine uh, Arabic uh, Ray Bradbury Martian lingo, ancient, pick yeah. inspired. You know. Yeah. A uh, lot of uh, precedent for that in the sci-fi genre. Yep. You know, reminding me of Dune a little bit. Oh yeah. Yeah, you know what? I I have not read Dune. I need to read Dune. Yes, you know Dune. you need to listen to Dune. Reading it. Uh, oh yeah, you know, yeah. The audio book makes it a little more palatable. It's uh, I trying to read it when I was young and and had a difficult time getting through it. Well, you know, it's it's kind of the sci-fi version of War and Peace. Yeah, you know, it it's one of those mountains you got to climb if you're a, a sci-fi fan, and 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 I, I definitely want to climb it. Yeah, that and the Foundation trilogy, and I think the Foundation trilogy is a little more enjoyable. Yeah, there's about a million books I want to read. Oh, God, I'm never going to live long enough. I think I'll keep reading after I'm dead. Yeah, I'm taking well, my books with me. I'll that's the library. I haunt Barnes and Noble. I'll be like the Phantom of Barnes and Noble on Saturday <laughs> night after it closes. My ghostly ass will be like floating around through the horror and sci-fi section. Yeah, and uh, in the philosophy section. And the philosophy section. I might even grab a copy of the Kama Sutra. Well, I hear you're a lot more flexible as a specter. <laughs> well, I have been doing yoga. There you go. <laughs> so. We're going to do a summary of, of uh, our Albay? Yeah, I think so. Um, Neil, do you want to summarize the story for us? Maybe give us a little bit of your background. Background of the story? No, background of you. Background. Oh, my background. Summarize the story and give us your background. How about a summary of my background? <laughs> okay, whatever. That'll um, work. Well, um, <clears throat> the mummies of Tara Albay. Um, it's definitely uh, 
you know, Ray Bradbury influenced. I kind of, you know, big fan of his Martian stories. Uh, Dark they were in Golden Odd, especially. Um, and, you know, that, uh, you know, the ancient civilizations on a colonized planet. So he did Mars. I'm in love with the moon. Um, there's just something about the moon. Uh, I've said a lot of stories on the moon. And, and this is a story in, you know, about 3001 AD. And um, the earth has colonized the moon. And they've got a, you know, kind of a, you know, silver sand, deserty, you know, star light all the time, 24-7 kind of place. And, and they, they discover some ancient tombs. Uh, there's a lost race of, of moon people that are no longer there. And you can kind of, you know, sense them, their presence there. You kind of hear them on the wind out in the desert at night. And uh, uh, Robert Shane is uh, the, one of the, the main character. He's a military guy and he goes along. He's assigned to go along with this archeological expedition to, um, to excavate this tomb. And they unlock this, you know, ancient evil. It's kind of a pharaoh, a pharaonic kind of character. And I kind of base that on, um, you know, of course, ancient Egypt and also the Aztecs. And, um, you know, this is, you may not believe this, but there's an El Santo movie, El Santo, and uh, um, not the Aztec mummy movies, but there's another mummy movie in color in the 60s. And uh, that mummy kind of inspired it. The mummies of Guadalajara. No, 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 not that okay. one. It, okay. It's, uh, I, I'll think of the title. Anyway, a lot of influences on that. Ray Bradbury, of course. And um, he ends up having to, you know, The Pharaoh's Curse, too, is another influence. And, um, and, and Arthur Conan Doyle's mummy stories. I mean, there's a lot of influences. But anyway, um, the, you know, the Pharaoh comes back to life and his spirit, starts to inhabit people and to get revenge. And uh, Shane has to uh, fight his way out. There's an action packed scene towards the end, you know, where they're, you know, on the road going into town and, and, and the, the slaves of the pharaoh, the ancient moon pharaoh, these lizard people, lizard things come out of the sand and start attacking. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a pulp fiction story. It's, it's a romp. That's my intention anyway. I would I would say that was well met. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Why don't you give us a little of your background, Neil? <clears throat> My background. Um, well, I'm I'm from Tennessee. Um, pretty much grew up on a farm. Um, I can pinpoint. You know, I've always loved horror movies and rock and roll, and uh, I can pretty much pinpoint. Um, you know, when I really wanted to become a writer. Um, I was in my eighth grade reading class, and uh, we read uh, Dark the Word and Golden Odd and The Pedestrian by Ray Bradbury. We read um, Poison by Roald Dahl. We read um, you know, a lot of Edgar Allan Poe. I did a Poe project that year. And it was just, you know, Shirley Jackson, The Lottery, which like screwed everybody up. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> I'm still going to therapy for that story. But anyway, um, God, that's a great story, The Lottery. It so, really is. Uh, I wish I could write a story that good. Uh, anyway, it, it um, you know that that something about you know and, and Seki Saki Seki the open window is yeah. another one. Mm -hmm. And um, there's just something about that year that was just really important. I just always point back to those stories. Just captivated me, and mm -hmm. I don't know. It's just it's, it's affected the kind of stories I like and the kind of stories I want to tell. Um, studied history and cultural anthropology in college was an archaeologist for about a year and a half back in the 90s. Um, played harmonica in a band briefly. Um, had a lot of bad relationships. Hmm. Went through divorce. Yeah, you mentioned <laughs> playing harmonica. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, God, I don't know where to go. I mean, maybe <laughs> I shouldn't have said anything about the bad relationships. <laughs> Should I mention bad relationships? Sure. Women love me. It's just... <laughs> Just, you know, just, just I don't. I, I, I don't. I don't give the impression that women don't love me because they do. Gotcha. Anyway, next next question. <laughs> so was I a wife? I do yoga. Um, yeah. You know, I have cat. My dad has cows. I have dogs. I love looking at the stars. I love quiche. 
I'm, I'm, a, I'm a total He-Man. You know, I almost got mauled by a gri grizzly in, in Alaska, and I almost died on Kilimanjaro. But um, I, uh, I'm a real He-Man, but I love Quiche, and I have feelings. And I don't think there's anything wrong with a man having feelings. And I just want to yeah. get that out there. Nothing wrong. It sounds with a man like you love Quiche. I love Quiche. <laughs> I do. I love Quiche. I'm not an egg guy, so it's quiche it's lost on me. Yeah, <laughs> it's lost on me. So. Usually at this point, we would uh, take the time to kind of dissect and uh, analyze. But since you're here, you know, we can check our, uh, check our analysis against what your intentions were, which I think is an interesting, uh, an interesting opportunity that you don't usually get. We don't get to ask Shirley Jackson what she meant, usually. No. Well, I'm not Shirley Jackson, but I'm not going to fall Shirley Jackson, maybe, or pseudo yeah. Shirley Jackson. And I'm kind of like, I don't know, Shirley Jackson's third cousin, maybe. That's there you go. The, yeah, yeah at, least you're, at least you're in the mix, you know? I'm like the mailman that delivered Shirley Jackson's mail on go. the day that the real mailman called in sick. That's me. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but um, one of the things that, that I love about this story, and I, I kind of picked this story, um, I love I love the reference to Egyptian uh, to the mummy movies the, the the whole Egyptian thing set on the thing, but I love the whole 1950s feel of the story. Um, you know, by the 60s and 70s, you know, it was the thing that I kind of seized on. They take a pill to breathe. That's very yeah. 1950s. Yeah, you know, everything's yeah. supposed to come from a pill. You're going to get all your food from a pill. Um, mm. You know, whereas in the 60s and 70s, they would have built a space dome and all this kind of crap. I like the pill, you know. Yeah. So I, I love that 1950s feel. And I think the idea of setting it on the moon in the 1950s, I think that's a very 1950s thing you could do. Well, you know, uh, sci-fi and, you know, Destination Moon and, uh, you know, that was that was a big deal. In the 50s, yes. You know, flying saucers. Yes, and uh, yeah. space travel. Even though we hadn't technically been to outer space yet, we didn't. You know, I guess we got a satellite up in the late fifties. Late fifties, yeah. But uh, you know, that, that's the, the cool thing about the fifties. I'm really influenced by the fifties. I mean, it was my parents' generation, and it just seems like you know I'm in the eighties. You know, listening to Hank Williams and the Stray Cats, and and the rockabilly thing was always yeah. huge with me, and uh. Um, you know, 1950s pre-code horror comics. I was a maniac for those on, you know, the reprints oh, when I was a kid. Yeah. And I even yeah. got my hand on a few original Marvel ones, in, you know, in the 90s. Um, oh, wow. You know, that and, um, you know, the, the, the American International flicks, Roger Corman flicks. I mean, it's just mm -hmm. the 50s with just Lux Interior, uh, the cramps. I think he said um, the 1950s were like the high point of Western civilization. Yeah, I could. So I mean, I, I you know, you mentioned the fifties. I, I think the the fifties is in the background of a lot of what I write. It's it's you know, I just I can't really get away from it. Well, I you thought know, James Dean. James Dean was my hero when I was a kid, and it's like um, I just it is you know, it's just in the back in the back of my mind wherever you know. Yeah. Well, I thought it was interesting because we take this very fifties idealistic view of the world, you know? And uh, because science was, as we've discussed before, very idealized in the 50s. Yeah. But then you have this ancient evil, we shouldn't be here, which is a much more 70s idea, I think, or Great Depression, yeah. you know, 20s lost generation idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. a good point. I'll tell you something else that, that, that goes along with that, uh, the, the way it ended. Yeah. yeah. The, the fact that he walks in and, and the Pharaoh has possessed his commanding officer. You don't get that in 50s part. The 50s, yeah. the good guy always wins. Well, that is true. That is true. Um, but that, that, that definitely, the Pharaoh's curse was definitely an influence for the, in that. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it just, mm -hmm. I was a fan of that film. And it was just, that was just, I don't know that any other film or story ever did that where 
the Pharaoh spirit just leapfrogs, uh, you know, and gets people like they're going to drink their blood and kill them. And you guys have seen the Pharaoh's curse, right? I have. Not it's been a artist. long time. Fifty-seven. God, I love that flick. Uh, it's like an yeah. EC comic, you know, um, jacked up on moonshine. So definitely fifties. <laughs> but anyway, um, I remember it being very, uh, very out there for the era. Oh, it is. It is. It is. It's well, out there. The fifties were weird. It's yeah. like you know, God, Invasion of the Saucer Man, Teenage Werewolf, Teenage Frankenstein, uh, from Hell It Came. You know, I mean, it's just the 50s were weird. It has this Eisenhower veneer that's laid over things that are going on. And we talked about Plan 9 from Outer Space a couple oh, of yeah. weeks ago. And, you know, you got Ike Eisenhower and Ed Wood thriving at the same time. That's well, I don't know like, that Ed Wood really thrived well, in the 50s, but he, he, uh, he did his work in the He 50s. did his work, yeah. 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 He, he persevered. Yeah. He was, uh, well, I think. We'll get your opinion on Ed Wood a little bit later once we're done talking about this specific story. But, uh, you know, I, I have a lot to say about him still. We did a whole episode yeah. and I still haven't talked it out. Yeah. Still haven't figured out yeah. if I love or hate him, you know? Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. There was a lot in here. It was, a, it was quite the interesting little pastiche of other genres, you know? Like, I thought Shane, you know, was kind of the typical Western sheriff. Yeah. In a little desert well, town on the moon. That's an influence on me too. You know, I mean, I, I don't think, I don't think you can be a, an American and not be influenced, but it's the West. It's like our myth. It's like our mythology. Yeah. Man, I'm named D. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The showdown, man. It's like, you know, it's, it's you can't get away from you can't it. Can't get away from it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm in a cowpunk band. Uh, you're preaching yeah. to the choir. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I like that idea of him as the good, upstanding uh, sheriff coming into, you know, what is, is essentially just a really peaceful world, you know, and you still have a military presence because it's, well, it's America. You yeah. Know? You're going to have a military <laughs> presence. <laughs> but you, at the beginning of the story, you kind of get the feeling that it's almost superfluous. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then by the end, boy, it's not superfluous anymore. No, <laughs> no, not at all. But so what do you think? I mean, we talked about your influences for the story. What was your intention with the story? What, what was the theme you had? Like, what was the grain that started it all? Well, um, was it just the desire to write a moon story or? It, it was published in an anthology. I wrote it originally for an anthology for Pro Se Productions. Um, mm -hmm. I'm in several of their anthologies and in How to Make a Monster, uh, the collection is reprinted. Um, uh, my intention is to write a good story um, to, to entertain. Um, my stories kind of fall into place as I write them. Um, okay. I wanted to, um, you know, develop Shane, make a good character. I wanted it to make it scary. Um, I didn't really have any major, um, you know, cause in mind or theme in mind other than, which makes a good pulp sci-fi horror idea is, you know, we don't belong here. We're, we're, we're in an alien land and we should go back home. And I mean, that, that, that plays over in a ton of mummy movies, sci-fi, you name it. And, uh, but you know, just, just writing a good story an entertaining pulp story. That was, that was my intention. Do you know that sense of not belonging? I think that that can translate to, a lot of folks that are fans of pulp and um, right pulp, you know, we, we've all kind of not fit into the culture that we're in. And I think we all can kind of, we kind of feel for, for Shane, you know, yeah. I, 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 I kind of had that, that feeling too. Kind you know? of uh, out of time, yeah. you know, out of time and place. Yeah. Yeah. I, think I mean, I've, 
Definitely, he's Shane. Definitely's uh, you know, the um, what's the word I'm looking for? He, he's the uh, kind of all American male, the Clint Eastwood, the John Wayne, the, mm-hmm. you know, the Western hero top. Yeah, yeah, I, I would say so. Mm-hmm. I think you know that othering of landscape and the othering of the protagonist is important to the pulp story. Yeah, yeah, in general. Uh, well, I've heard that you know one day they're talking about maybe colonizing Mars, and you know, yeah, it's maybe that, some reality, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I, I just don't think that's a good idea at all. I don't either. I don't either. <laughs> I think I, you know, I've heard that like you just basically get on the ship, and when they when they ever do it, you're not coming back home. Yeah, no. And, I don't know. That's pretty wild. What, yeah. What's going to happen if when you get there, you know, and, and I guess probably part of that figured into the story too, you know, and what would it be like to be on another sphere, another planet, the moon in this instance, who was there millennia before you? Mm-hmm. And what if you're not wanted? What if you know, you're not dealing with earthly terrestrial kind of, you know, rules here. And, you know, there's, yeah. is, are there ghosts on other planets? I mean, are they the same kind of ghosts? I mean, you know, ancient civilizations, you know, are they still there? The remnants and the memory. I don't know. It's pretty yeah. deep. Yeah. You know, uh, there's something Lovecraftian about that idea that I, I thought you touched on and played with, but without getting into the, uh, Modelingness of a lot of Lovecraftian fiction. Well, Lovecraft's yeah. definitely an influence. Um, I didn't really, I didn't, I don't know that I really had him in mind so much in that story, but he's definitely. I see what you're saying, and, and yeah, you're, you're right. Yeah, um, finding the ancient writing—it's definitely Lovecraftian in a way. Yeah, it reminded me of uh, "Trap with the Pharaoh," the one he wrote with Houdini. I read that. I need it's, read a, that. it's good when he ghost wrote it. Yeah. Okay. Didn't I realize think, that. Yeah, Houdini put his name on it. Yeah. So. That'd be in an interesting. with the Pharaohs, I believe, is what it was called. Yeah. Well, I, Egyptology was a big, big topic in the 1900s, late 1800s. It was, it was the rage. It was, yeah. It yeah. Was hit. People, were, people were snorting lines of mummy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they would, they would bring mummies. How they got, you know, you could actually go into ancient Egypt or, you know, and bring out a mummy. Yeah. I mean, imagine trying to do that today. You know, you got like a wrapped up mummy on the airplane with you or put it in storage and baggage. You know, would you have to buy it its own seat, you think? Say again? Would you have to buy another ticket, you think? I don't know. I mean, it's a good, I mean, you get a one carry on, don't you? Yeah. But it's got to fit in the overhead. You probably fold it in half and put it in a backpack. Yeah. Like a laptop. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or a small dog. A mummy top. Yeah. One of, the, one of the neat things that I've always thought it was a neat story was, you know, they searched for years for Ramses II. And then they found him in the basement at Emory University in Atlanta. You know, somebody, they, Emory had bought this mummy 50, 60 years ago, or 50, 60 years prior, maybe longer. It was Ramses II. It was Ramses II. And somebody was looking at the way he was laid out and realized that it was a pharaoh and not just some mummy. And they, they started working and they unwrapped and found some artifacts of Ramses II. I have not heard that. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. It's wow. Back. Wow. Wow. They did blood work on him, and it appears he did a line of coke. <laughs> he was probably in a band. Yeah. yeah, probably. Getting back to the story, one of the things that I I enjoyed about it is, you know, the science is so – the scientists are so big in this. They're so important. But there's so much they don't know. They don't know about this culture. They don't know how dangerous it is. 
I mean, they're as they have the technology to make a pill that can make people breathe on the moon and to put a colony on the moon, but they're totally helpless against this ancient, these ancient beings that were there that they probably didn't expect to find there. It never, never voices that in the story, but you can see some scientists before they leave, oh, there's never been any inhabitation on the, on the moon. And boom, there it is. Well, well I think, think we don't know. And I think hubris is probably yeah. one of the oldest literary themes. Yes. Yeah. You know, it, it, yeah. at least in Western culture. Yeah. Yeah. And you get you get the feeling there's a lot of hubris, and I've forgotten the head archaeologist's name, and certainly the guy that goes in and opens the crypt without permission. Mm -hmm. You can kind of feel the hubris there, you know. And Shane tries to tell them we're not opening this and they won't have it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean there's there's definitely some some arrogance. Yeah. Yeah. Our arrogance is punished you know, very often. So do you just do you subscribe to the idea that uh in horror everything has to have a precedent, like every punishment deserves a sin? Or do you think sometimes a story can be just you're in the wrong place at the wrong time? That's a good question. Um, I think it makes it more interesting if, if a sin is being punished. Um, yeah. You know, I think that's part of character development. I mean, you got to make the reader care. And if some guy's getting whacked by some supernatural entity and he didn't do anything. I mean, yeah. that might, depends on the story. That I guess, could be I guess, me. I guess, yeah. I guess, well, I mean, <clears throat> if the person, the victim, if you want to call it that, did something to deserve it, I don't know. I think it puts a more of a spin on, you know. Like, you know, um, story of King Tut's tomb. Yeah. Um, you could argue maybe they should have left the tomb alone or maybe they shouldn't have. I don't know, but they violated. You could look at it very easily like any, you know, that's the beginning of every mummy movie ever. I mean, they violated the tomb. They went in there, disturbed the Pharaoh's rest. They weren't mm -hmm. like hanging out at a coffee shop in Cairo and the Pharaoh descended upon them and, uh, and did terrible things to them. I mean, they actually did something. I think that, and then I think, you know, it very well may be good for the reader to kind of like contemplate, well, did they deserve this or did they not? Yeah. And so, um, yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, you know, it just, it depends on uh, who you're reading. You know, I think okay. a lot of times, uh, you know, you see that uh, almost the, that Friday the 13th, Jason kind of idea. Yeah. You know, like, See, oh, you were you were underage drinking or having sex outside of wedlock, so the juggernaut yeah. comes. Yeah. But you but, also see it in Hawthorne. I mean, it, you know. You do. And, and uh, not only is Hawthorne punishing these people, he's punishing us for reading the book. I mean, everybody gets punished in Hawthorne. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I was punished with Hawthorne. And, uh, what a <laughs> Yeah. You know, I was, uh, um, young Goodman Brown is. I got it. That's a great. Story. That is a great story. It is actually a good story. That's it's, a terrifying yeah. story. Yeah. yeah, yeah, The minister's black veil. Yeah, that's another good one. Yeah. So maybe, uh, maybe I've been too harsh on him, but the oh, scarlet yeah. letters a slow. Well, I, I, you know, honestly, um, that's about all I've read of his. I, I haven't read uh, a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, some of the other stuff can really buy it. I don't know. I can't vouch for it. I vouch for young Goodman Brown. Young Goodman Brown. It's it's yeah. a pretty good story. Yeah. So, what? Uh, let's stray a little bit from the story and talk about you as a writer a little bit because I I think people are interested in writers and what makes them work, how they do what they do. What's your uh, What's your technique? What's your routine? Well, um, 
to begin with, I, I pull a dead cat out of a graveyard at midnight and spit over my shoulder, sacrifice a virgin. Um, you know. Yeah, all that stuff. Like burn some, burn some candles, and uh, that gets the ball rolling. Usually, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, that was that's all <laughs> that's all uh, struck and white, right? I'll yeah, it's trucking that. Um, well, you know, um, the, the basic, I don't know that there is any hard, fast rules. The basic rule is read a lot and write a lot. Hmm. And the more you write, the better you get. And the more you yeah. read, the more influence you get. And you learn what makes a, a decent story. And you're never so good that you can't learn. I mean, your writing is a lifetime of getting better and improving. And, uh, you know, and, and the more you read and the more you write, um, the better you get. I, um, I struggle with, you know, so, I mean, it, writing's is fun, but sometimes you just don't want to do it. And, and it's work and it's exhausting. And, um, I've written, you know, some 10,000 word stories for anthologies that I didn't know if I was going to finish. It's like, you know, it's just 30, 40 pages of just beating yourself. And it's like, you know, you're taking every little step and trying to figure out and you can't say too much and you can't say too little. And, um, you know, I mean, it's basically, you know, I have a nice, comfortable place you like to write. Um, I don't know that you got to do it at the same time every day, but you, as much as possible. Um, I don't know that writing, I think it chooses you. I don't think, uh, I don't think, um, you know, I, I don't know. It, it's, it's something that just kind of stays with you is always there. You're always thinking of stories. It's like, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I chose it. I mean, I think it chose me. And it's something yeah. that I just, you know, the, if you want to call it the muse, she can be a real bitch. I mean, she can like really, you know, come after you if you're not writing and you, you got to write. And it's like, and you don't get peace unless you get out there and write. And um, does that answer the question? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think so. I think okay. so. Tell us a little bit about uh, Yellow Door Publishing. Yellow Door Publishing. Um, I just started my own little publishing thing. I just publish my own stuff. Um, I do it through Kindle Direct Publishing on Amazon. Mm. Um, so I'm on book covers. Um, that's hard. Um, I think you spend whole lot of time not writing but dealing with stuff like that um yeah. i watched countless hours of how-to videos on how to do a book it's i mean you 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 got to design the book cover you got to like measure out the inside of it um first time i did it um you know definitely there's some typos in there i mean it, it, it's real real hard um yeah. but you know, Yellow Door, that's after the Yellow Door coffee shop and Bucket of Blood. Um, and I, I just self-published my own work. And uh, most of what I self-publish has been published other places. Like stories have been in magazines and, and anthologies. And I just uh, put them in a collection like I want them. Mm. Brew it up uh, in the barn, you know, and uh, put it out there. I kind of like the... You know, I'm a huge, well, and Blake is too, we're huge fans of pulp. And yeah, it, it really has that pulp feel to it. Thank you. Um, oh, yeah. Pulp, uh, pulp's, um, well, a writer's a writer, you know. I mean, it doesn't no matter what you write. Um, pulp is, you know, traditionally, you know, for, for those who don't know, that, you know, back in the 20s and 30s and 40s and, until paperback books became a big thing, um, pulp was the disposable, trashy, fun, you know, reading that, you know, the masses did. There were all tons, tons of pulp magazines and like weird tales, you know, um, yeah. 
and uh, astounding stories. And, and, you know, every genre was covered with pulp, um, westerns, crime, uh, noir, science fiction, uh, you know, horror, monsters, um, superheroes. African adventure, safari type Yeah, stories. adventure, all that stuff, you know. And, and the funny thing is, you know, I mean, I, I like literature, literature, whatever that means, um, you know, but the pulp field i think has had more influence like lovecraft and tarzan and um you know i mean frankenstein and dracula that's literature but at the same time it's pulpy too and it's it's i you know not all pulp is is low low class and third rate some of it is some of it's not and and there were some really great writers in the pulp field, you know, especially for Weird Tales magazine. And uh, so, yeah, that's that's an influence on me, too. I, I can't really get away from the pulp thing. This will mark the 12th episode in a row where we've mentioned Weird Tales. So <laughs> uh, Weird Tales is um, it's a huge influence on a lot of people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You can't talk about horror, science fiction, fantasy. Western, you can't talk about any of that stuff without talking about Weird Tales. Well, Weird Tales, I think, pretty much began modern horror. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know? And Stephen King, anybody. I mean, I don't think, you know, Lovecraft is an influence on everybody, yeah, pretty much, who writes that kind of story. Well, I think you go from the. For the pulp, their, their pulps, they called the Penny Dreadfuls. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Some of those were kind of dreadful. <laughs> yeah. Mall Flanders. That one was yeah. pretty bad. Yeah. Um, I think you go from, with the pulps, you get to have some real subversive ideas. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Which is, uh, you know, you go from what if there was a scary ghost to what if God's not real and the real God hates you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, Lovecraft, um, God, you know, I mean not only the Cthulhu thing, but the Necronomicon and all that. And it's some scary guy, man. I mean, that, yeah. you look at Lovecraft and it's like, he just kind of gave me the impression that, you know, he probably wasn't very easy to talk to. Um, no, I don't think he was. Probably terrified of women. And, he was. Uh, and I mean, it, but yet he, he, he just absolutely just – came up with this terrifying theme that yeah. we're not on the universe and and we're we're going to be the victims of the ancient gods when they come back we have we, we can't possibly understand the unfeeling unloving horror of the cosmos it's going to get us and that's yeah. terrifying it really is when you it when really you stop is. and think about the the type of horror that came before Lovecraft. It's very linear. Dracula, Frankenstein, you've got a monster or you've got a ghost or you've got something that's scary, that's bad, that's killing people. And and uh, that that kind of linear story progression takes place till you destroy the creature. When Lovecraft comes along, there's nothing linear about that it cycles back and through and it goes in circles. And at the end of the day, the creature wins. Well, I think it's the difference between mortal terror and existential terror. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what if all you, what if you don't actually know anything, Horatio? Right. Right. Yeah. There Is that a Shakespeare reference? It was. I love Shakespeare. I love Hamlet, man. Yeah. I uh, I'd go out and roll somebody in the parking lot if I could have written Hamlet. Hamlet's like right. one of the best ever. And you know Shakespeare was pulp for his yeah. time and place. It was very well written pulp. Yeah, but who says you can't be a good writer and still write pulp? Yeah, yeah. No. you know I I think the defense of pulp is uh, starting to catch on. Lowbrow culture starting to catch on. Oh yeah, yeah. You know. What was the rock and roll of literature? You know, it was the pop yeah. rock of literature. Yeah. yeah. And uh, they often went hand in hand, you know? Yes. Oh, yeah. You know? Absolutely. I've never... 
Well, I was about to say something that I can't defend. I was going to say I've never read a punk who didn't read, but yes, I have. They're just called posers, you know? <laughs> Reading is punk, yes. You know, because that's where they hide all the good, uh, all the good information. Yeah. Look at all the look at all the horror and science fiction themes that you see in punk. I mean, we both, we all of us have done shows that were composed of horror punk and and psychobilly and um, had a lot of science fiction influences. You don't get that in other types of of music and you don't get you don't get other types of music that go hand in hand with the genre yeah like this except maybe uh hip-hop underground hip-hop yeah i take that back you're right it does it does you've got hardcore yeah which is mankind uh, loves stories man it's a very ancient thing yep this good story would scare you and and uh stories about heroes and monsters and you know, that's uh, goes all the way back to the beginning of time. Yep. Yeah. So let's do a little bit of a lightning round. Okay. What's uh, what's your next uh, what's your next read? Uh, I read three or four books at the same time. Um, oh, polyamorous. Currently, um. I'm going to read uh, a friend of mine, Shane Berryhill, uh, got a novel, Bad Mojo. I'm, I'm going to re- I'm rereading it. I'm going to do a review of it. Um, getting into John D. McDonnell, um, noir, and I love Jim Thompson, noir. Um, yeah. Stephen King, um, reading Lovecraft, um, reading Poe. Um, got some biographies. Uh, did a little self-Santa. I've got... Um, some biographies on Tom Waits and Screaming Jay Hawkins. Um, reading about yoga. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it, it's uh, – I'm, I'm a book addict. Yeah. I've done terrible, terrible things, things that we can't talk about, things that I'm ashamed of for books. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> so uh, – no, you don't. I'm sitting on a couch with him. You don't got it at all. <laughs> so ashamed. So, uh, werewolves or vampires? Werewolves. Even though I like vampires, vampires are cool. Um, they're suave. I just think vampires would get very bored. You know, they never die. They know they can't die unless some jackass stakes them. So they, I think they get very bored. They've done it all. They've seen it all. Werewolves, on the other hand, that's rock and roll. They party. Yeah. You know what I mean? But, you know, the the mortal doesn't really know that he wants to become a werewolf. But once he does and he gets over being a little bitch about it, that's when he parties. Gets a taste of blood. Full moon, howling, rock and roll. Yeah, definitely. Werewolves yeah. all the way. I'm a big Lon Chaney Jr. fan. A big, you know, I was a teenage werewolf. Oliver Reed, um, The Howling, American Werewolf in London. Those are some of my favorite films. Werewolf. And I want to write a lot of werewolf stories. I want to like really. I don't think there's enough werewolf stories out there. So I would agree with you. I would agree with you. Probably my favorite thing I've ever written was a werewolf story. I think so. it's my favorite thing you've ever written, too. It's a good story. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, let's see. Uh, who's your favorite uh, Who's your favorite living author? I know that's hard. <laughs> um, I'm potentially ostracizing. <laughs> wow. Well, you know, I, I haven't read a lot, a lot of Stephen King's recent stuff, so I don't know. I mean, but I don't think you can top Salem's Lot and The Shining and all yeah. that. That's the best heart. But, I mean, I haven't read his recent stuff. I read a Bentley Little novel, uh, The Haunting, recently. Yeah. It blew my mind. Uh, that was a great haunted house novel. Um, 
you know, a lot of my favorite authors are dead. Yeah. You know, I don't, I mean, um, Stephen Graham Jones is, is good. Um, oh gosh, who else? Shane Berryhill, you know, my friend, my buddy Shane Berryhill. Um, Shane's good. Yeah. Um, how about, how about Asia? Who is your favorite rock and roll group? <laughs> That's easy. Um, the, the Ramones, Elvis, Cramps, mm-hmm. all dead too. <laughs> yeah, you well, no. the Rolling Stones, the Rolling Stones. Yeah, um, Poison Ivy's still alive. Yeah, yeah. she is. She hasn't she done anything like, since Lux passed. Does she still play? No, not since Lux passed. Okay. That's sad. She's. Very talented. Oh, yeah. One of the best guitarists ever. Oh, yeah. Grew up playing guitar. Grew yeah. up on uh, Link Ray and uh, Halloween novelty songs, which yeah. you can totally hear. Oh, yeah. 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 So, uh, let's see. What's your uh, what's your least favorite horror motif or horror cliche? Now you're making me think, man. That's the goal. Um, I didn't bargain for this. You didn't tell me you were going to make me think. Um, gosh. Um, I don't know. That's a good question. That's a good question. Um, I think you got to be careful about cliche, whatever the cliche may be. And I, I'll probably use a few cliches. I'm sure I did. Somebody's probably looking at one of my stories or books right now going, instead of a bitch, use a cliche. That's a cliche. <laughs> and um, I'm probably guilty. I don't think you can totally get away from cliches. I mean, yeah. they make us comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I think every writer ought to add something different if they can. Spice yeah. it up a little bit. Not the same old. You know, who's your favorite mad scientist? Dr. Frankenstein. Okay. Yeah. Um, Dr. X. Um, yeah. Dr. Frankenstein. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, you know what's so weird about Frankenstein? Dr. Vornoff. Dr. Vornoff. <laughs> yeah, Dr. Vornoff. Yeah. Bot of the monster, Bela Lugosi. That's he's. That's octane yeah. mad scientist. Yeah. Home. I have no home. The jungle's my home. Hunted. Despised. Living like an animal. Oh, Living okay. like an animal. The jungle's my home. <laughs> I, I was always partial to Dr. Moreau. Ooh, Dr. Moreau's that's, a great that's one. A, that's a cool one. Yeah. I love, yeah. Um, of course, I love Island of the Lost Souls. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what a wild documentary. I love the 1977 um, American International Island of the Dr. Moreau, too, with Michael York. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a good one. That was great. Yeah. I, I mean, <clears throat> You know, I think they really kind of screwed the 1996 one up. Um, a little bit. When you see a hyena man, I think Ron Perlman played him. When you see a hyena man in fatigues running down the beach like he's Arnold Schwarzenegger, that's a problem. Oh, that's – I was thinking of that as the highlight. <laughs> that's an even bigger problem. That's <laughs> yeah, <highlight>. you know. <laughs> and I read, uh, read Marlon Brando. <laughs> Baller Brando went wanky during the filming of that. Yeah, he made him have the little umbrella hat. That was his idea, according to what I read. And they're like in this little town, and the little guy that's on his shoulder all the time. He sees him in this little town. And he's like, "I want him." And the producers are like, "Shut up, Marlon. What are you talking about?" He goes, "Either you get him in the movie with me, or I quit." And so they went and got this little guy, and that's the little guy that's like. 
uh, Marlon Brando with a, with a white face and an umbrella hat and this little person sitting on his shoulder. It's yeah. it's immaculate is what it is. It's like yeah. it, it's it's beautiful. It's like watching it's someone else's fever dream. It's yeah. poetry. Yeah. You yeah. watch Marlon Brando and Matt and Apocalypse Now, and he's not acting. He's being Marlon Brando. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like um, Salvador Dali said, I don't do drugs. I am drugs. Yeah. yeah. And then he gifted all his paintings to Clearwater, Florida. Yeah. He gave them to Clearwater, Florida? Yeah, he built a museum there, and he'd never been there. Yeah. Really? Yep, I should yeah. know that. Yeah, you, you should go, go see them. They've got a yeah. psycho, psychotronic, psychotronic troubadour and all that stuff. Okay, or toreador yeah. rather. Yeah, yeah. So, his paintings are so big. Yeah, they're enormous. Park, you know, Salvador Dali theme park. Call it Dollywood. <laughs> <laughs> Sony. <laughs> All right, it was a dad joke. I'm sorry, damn it. Yeah, I just keep thinking you. like you couldn't get away with not having a mustache ride. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I bet your mind would just be completely shattered by going to like Dollywood. And riding the mustache ride. Yeah. I bet that would be I, I just yeah. I, I'd be up for it. Let's go. We we, we yeah. should trip to Dollywood. Not Dollywood and Gatlinburg, Dollywood in Clearwater, Florida. Yeah. Dollywood where you're gonna need some heavy therapy after you go to this theme park. Yeah. Uh, so what's your uh What's your artistic dream? What's your goal? Not goal, but like your pipe dream. My pipe dream? Yeah. If you could be any artist, who would it be kind of thing? Any artist, like an actual artist? Yeah, yeah. Any a writer, artist, musician? Um, well, um, I would definitely say Kerouac, but... Um, I would love to give Jim Morrison a whirl. Yeah. You know, I'd like to be Jim Morrison for a day. That'd be a good day. You could remember that. I mean, get the crowd all revved up and, yeah. you know, breaking shit and trash in a hotel room and all that. Trash in a hotel room. Um, and then going and reading like, uh, philosophy in a, in a diner at three o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And it's, uh, I don't know. I mean, and then, uh, getting, you know, married to a witch and yeah. going to Paris and dying in the bathtub. I mean, they don't sound bad. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Chuck, have you seen, uh, Jim Morrison's, uh, They've put together like his movie Highway. No, no. pretty no. cool. Yeah, it's on YouTube. Look at it. Uh, yeah, that and Feast of Friends. Those are two movies that you can get Feast of Friends on Blu-ray. Um, really? And Highway um, is on YouTube, and it's like that was his film he was working on. So, I mean, it it's exactly what you would think of. I mean, it's weird, and it doesn't really have a plot. He's a killer, you know, like um, in, uh, Riders on the Storm. Yeah, versus yeah. hitchhiking in the desert. That's him, and uh, and uh, you know he he just makes it into L.A. and and there's not you know, he gets on the phone like you know what I hit the body. I mean it's not really a plot. Yeah, but it's interesting, and it's Jim Morrison, and uh, you know I, I think that if he had survived, he would have been um probably would have been a film director. Really, he did the seventies and everything. Yeah, I mean yeah. Ser seriously. Yeah, a lot of a uh, lot of people make that jump. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, if you read, I've read a few books on the doors, and I think the whole uh, 
I mean, you can argue what happened in, in um, Miami in 1969. Like he, I think he was, he wanted to be a poet. And I think yeah. that he uh, got really tired of, you know, because it, it, that's a silly life. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think he, he, he felt misunderstood. I mean, this is just my own thoughts, but um, I think that he uh, probably felt misunderstood. And, he, and, he, and you know, I can, I can dig that, you know, like you created some art and people were like totally not getting it or they're misinterpreting it. And I guess that could be pretty frustrating. Yeah. I also kind of think that he had music. He had gone about as far as he could go. Maybe there. I don't know that there was much left. He was a today. fantastic front man. Though. Yeah. I mean, he was. He was. Man, God, I think he was one of the best. But some people don't like the Doors. I, you know, I'm not a big fan of their music, honestly. I think they're like a bunch of jazz poets. You know, I think they were pretty, pretty cool. Yeah, I like, I like some of their B sides. Yeah, you know, crystal ship and things like that. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, I like, but I, I tend to be more on the uh, raw side than the polished side, and that's what I like is their raw stuff. Yeah. Well, the live version of Back to the Man on their live, um, live alive album. Yeah, you know when he's howling. I think I read somewhere that he was like really drunk. Yeah. And he's just howling like a demon. And that just, that never stops putting the chills up my spine. And that's what rock and roll ought to be. Yeah. That's what art ought to be. Art ought to be raw like that. And, um, uh, you know, I, I guess that's in mind when I write. Yeah. I don't want to be on the bestseller list. I want to write my kind of stories my way. Make them myself in the in the barn, and shove them out there, and and whoever reads them reads them. Yeah, you know? I think that's admirable. Thank well, you. Yeah, I think that's admirable. So where do we uh, where do we go to get your stuff? Tell the listeners out there. <clears throat> um, I have an Amazon page. I've got one or two books on BarnesandNoble.com, but um, I have an Amazon page in. Uh, you know, you can you can find all my books there. A lot of the anthologies and magazines that I'm in are on on that page too. I'm trying to update it. It's kind of hard, but I'm trying to update it. But all the books from Yellow Door Press that I've published are on there. And uh, there's there's more titles coming. Um, I've got a another novel I'm, I'm revising. And, and Mark Maddox did the cover, which by the way. Um, Mark Maddox, the award-winning artist, he does a lot of Blu-ray covers and magazine covers of horror films. He did uh, he did the uh, the cover of How to Make a Monster that um, the Mummies of Terra Albea is in. He's going to do another couple covers. I'm going to do some westerns, some pulp westerns. He's going to do the covers for me for. Um, and so I've got I've got more titles coming, and all of it will be available through Amazon.com. Awesome. I've got some copies myself. If anybody wants to get them from me. Just private message me on Instagram or, or Facebook. I'm on Instagram and Facebook. Just my name, Neil Privet. Uh, feel yeah. free to send me a request or like me. Um, you know, love me, love me if you like. <laughs> I appreciate it. All right. Well, I think that's about our time. You wanna? You got anything to promote, dude? Well, of course, always, always Tennessee macabre. Uh, we'll be on this Saturday night. Um, we'll have it on at 10 o'clock Central Time on ITV Chattanooga on Roku and Kindle. And it's on Other Worlds TV at midnight Eastern Time. And you can also find us on the Monster Channel as well as uh, the Vortex and Betamax. So, yeah, I didn't get around to talking about Tennessee Macabre. We're both in Tennessee Macabre, and uh, that's our other project. The Horror yeah. Host. Our hopes to check that out. And um, I really appreciate um, you interviewing me, guys, Blake, Duke. Um, Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Ramadan. Happy holidays. Yeah. Awesome. 
Awesome. Do you have anything? And do you have anything you want to promote? Yeah. Uh, my band Blood Oaks has got an EP coming out. Uh, North Georgia Death Cult. Yeah. Uh, she's coming out on Academic Punk Records. Coming Excellent. out. Uh, should be coming out first or yes. second week in the new year. So. Definitely going to get a copy of that. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah, we'll have physical copies. Oh, we're okay. old school. Yes. Right. If I get my way, if I get my way, we'll have cassette tapes. We'll just put it that way. <laughs> you got vinyl? Uh, that is very expensive. I looked into it. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. yeah, vinyl rules. Yeah. Yeah, it really does. I love collecting vinyl. Yeah, me too. I got a pretty decent collection. I've got a terrible one. A terrible one. It's all punk and uh, B sides and yeah. Well, that's the beautiful thing about a record collection. It's always room for growth. Yep. Yes. Kind of like being a person, you know, you always got room to improve, man. It's always yeah, about yeah. what you like. Yeah. yeah. So. All right. Well, I really appreciate you coming out, Neil. I Thank really you. Well, I really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. I really do. And uh, right. hope you have a good evening. All right. We'll see you all Thank next you. time. Thank you, viewers. See you later.